It's time for the October 21st, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on Reptile Awareness Day <laughs> from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Casper. And as always, because he's so pumped up with adrenaline, it would be a shame to waste it. <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. Good morning, Mahler. Today, we'll be talking about snow crabs, mercenary generals, ghost guns, Republican masturbation, playoff baseball, and then some. But first. That sounds good. Yeah. Good lineup. What are you doing for uh, Reptile Awareness Day, Mike? Uh, you have a family uh, meal planned? or? Well, this is kind of a uh, thing that we do as family uh-huh. down on Cortland. Yeah. We have a little dachshund. A dachshund. That likes to drag reptiles into the house Ooh. for a little team meeting. <laughs> a little team meeting. Yeah. With the other, yeah. We uh, all gather around. We say, family. We say goodbye to the reptile. Well, don't you sing uh, Reptile Awareness Day songs together? I, I w- <laughs> Yes, we do. Yeah. Of course. It's a family tradition. From Science Times, Black Widow Spiders. We're changing gears here. Yeah, no. But I'll get back to reptiles before you know it. Okay. Black widow spiders, characterized by their shiny black bodies and rough hourglass markings, are among the most poisonous spiders in North America. We know that. Yeah. Just the sight of one scares you. I don't know about you, but scares me. Yeah, well, when I was a child, I saw quite a few, and my parents were afraid that you know, they'd see their dead son laying out in the backyard with a black widow spider. Spider yeah, chewing on its nose. Yeah, dancing or on your, my nose. On your corpse. Uh, the, the black widow spider's venom is a complicated mixture of proteins that target motor neurons and muscle cells. God. So it kind of paralyzes smaller little beasts. This week, researchers took a step closer to determining the secret to resisting the black widow's spider venom by testing how the toxin of black widows affected two lizards. They prey on the spiders, okay. these two little lizards. Okay, so they are not as susceptible. Yeah, I guess so. I guess not. Uh, apparently one so. trumps the other. One lizard does. Mm-hmm. The research team injected the alligator lizard and the western fence lizard. These lizards have odd names, I would think. Yeah, they do. They I do. mean, do you think that one time this lizard crawled up on a fence? And there was a there was an entomologist or whatever studies yeah. insects said oh reptilologist uh, reptilologist sorry yeah. I said that wrong yeah yeah um, and he said well there's the uh, fence lizard there's the fence lizard yeah <laughs> he's yeah. in his backyard having a couple of beers yeah and then there's the alligator lizard okay uh, so they pitted them against each other uh, they injected uh, the alligator lizard and the western fence lizard with the black widow's fatal venom and set the lizards on a miniature race course to gauge their physical performance. Mm. I think they should do that as an Olympic event uh, wow. with humans. God, that, those lizards but must have thought they won the lottery. The alligator lizard did well, apparently immune to the bite, while the western fence lizard had troubles. We don't want to get into them. I don't want I'm to shock sure anybody, don't. especially on Reptile Awareness Day. Yeah, yeah, it's already upsetting. Turns out that animals that resist Venoms frequently have venom scavenging proteins in their blood. 
that bind to venom and disable the toxins. Very cool. Yeah. This, the researchers determined, is the case with the alligator lizard who snarfs up widows like crunchy black popcorn. Wow. Yeah. The widow poppers. It's quiet in here. It got quiet, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. It got real quiet. Didn't mean for it to. Yeah, maybe we ought to take a break. Well, you know, maybe a, a coffee break or yeah. a, maybe a, you have a, you have your libations. Yeah. yeah. Mahler, how about you? What do you, do you anything you want? Yeah. Yeah. Mahler. Katie, short. Katie, it's kind of a quiet day today. It sure you know, did get know, quiet. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I, you know. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's better. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's yeah. livening things up he here. He really is. From Politico. Farmers across New Zealand took to the streets on their tractors to protest government plans to tax cow burps. Cow burps. Cow burps. Oh, I got you. What do you think I said? Cow burps. Oh, cow burps. I'm like, he had a, a, how a, do you... a automobile dealership <laughs> up the road not too long ago. But Go see cow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're going to tax cow burps and other greenhouse gas emissions. Gotcha. A lobby group. Groundswell New Zealand helped organize more than 50 protests in towns and cities across the country. The biggest, though, was involving only a few dozen vehicles. So, well, <laughs> they didn't want to be taxed on the. Yeah, apparently yeah, they didn't yeah, want to be taxed, but yeah. not, you know, it yeah, wasn't that I mean, much I, of a deal. Well, yeah. last, last week, the government proposed a new farm burp levy as part of a plan to tackle climate change. Yeah. The government said it would be the world's first and that farmers should be able to recoup the cost by charging more for climate-friendly products. Yeah, I don't know what the population would think about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, by the way, just in terms of that part of the world, uh -huh. Australia up until very recently has been one of the worst offenders in the world in terms of its output of methane and all kinds of earth-destroying um, gases. They elected a new prime minister. They got rid of Morrison, who was basically a stooge for the uh, fossil fuel industry uh -huh. and are really beginning to turn things around in Australia in a fairly significant way. Good. And it's real good news. Yeah. But here's the deal. Australia is, is one big island or continent. It is. A continent. And then New Zealand is this little island. Yeah. And there's an ocean between them. I understand. Yeah. But it would be nice if those two got together and really pooled their resources because I believe one— is more innovative. That would be New Zealand. Yeah. And Australia has the resources, money, and power to do something fairly significant. You mean like Canada and the U.S.? Sort of like Canada and the yeah. United States, except we refuse to do that kind of thing. So yeah. I don't know who, yeah. I don't know who would be the New Zealand in this, in that analogy. But, Neither do I. Yeah. In fact, I don't even know who would be your New Zealand in the New Zealand. I believe my New Zealand would be the New Zealand. <laughs> by the way, uh, by the way, Canada is really bad on tar sands oil and really bad which is really bad uh fossil fuel yeah grist because farming is so big in new zealand yes there are 10 million beef and dairy cattle and 26 million sheep compared to just 5 million people so if the cows decided to take over yeah that's that, it that's it It'd be yeah. over in a day yeah. are you kidding me <laughs> about half of all greenhouse gases come from farms over there in yeah. new zealand yeah methane yeah, methane from burping cattle is a big contributor. But some farmers argue that the proposed tax would actually increase global greenhouse gas emissions by shifting farming to countries less efficient at making food. No. I have a suggestion. Yeah. 
why don't we just stop eating so much red meat? That's where I was going to go. Why yeah. don't we go to a plant-based diet, let these cows graze all day long, produce some milk, that's cool, and then just let's not eat cattle. How are we going to thin their population? Because I don't know that you'd have 10 million cattle in New Zealand if we weren't raising them over there. Yeah, you know? yeah. I we think we'd figure out, out a little bit. Yeah, we figure out attrition would Let's be... Let's have a, a big barbecue. <laughs> Giants, yeah, giant barbecue yeah. day, and, and then after that, yeah, we're yeah. down to vegetables. Disgusting. Who's in? Yeah, Mahler's in. Okay. If this news makes you want to belch, may I recommend a donation to KUCI instead? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI, 88.9 FM. From the Orange County Register. Mm-hmm. It's good to see Mahler in good spirits today. Well, thank God he's yeah. here today. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> picking it up a Yeah, he bit. really yeah. is getting... Come on, come here, boy. Come, come on. on, yeah, there yeah, you go. Let's yeah, let's get this thing going. Every once in a while. Yeah, you know, come on, Mahler. Yeah, get there it. you go. Get it. There you go. <laughs> Get it, get it, get it, boy. Get it, get it. Yeah. yeah. Woo, that got me going. <laughs> From the Orange County Register. They've been around for a while. Yes, they are. I hate that paper, and then I love the paper. There's good reporters and crappy editorials. Yes. Which is kind of like the Wall Street Journal. Maybe that's their plan, is to be like a second-rate Wall Street Journal. Yeah, yeah. mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Go register. <laughs> Eight cases of bird flu were detected in wild birds in Los Angeles County. The Department of Health confirmed, making the first sign of the virus in the county. So we got the bird flu here. <sighs> the cases were detected in three Canada geese and a black-crowned night heron in Long Beach, three Canada geese in the city of Los Angeles, and one Canada goose in Cerritos. What is that's so random that they found those? Do well, they have any know, sense of does that give them a well? A they way probably to had them handy, yeah, you know, whatever they were treating one because it was uh, it was coughing yeah, it or something, fell into an in and out hamburger <laughs> uh, restaurant there, and, and the people yeah. inside panicked. We got a goose in here, yeah, so they called the Department of Public Health. They show up, right. they got the goose, they give it a test while they're at it, yeah, and lo and behold, it's got it, it's got the flu. The cases are part of an ongoing nationwide outbreak of bird flu, also known as H5N1. That's a catchy name. Yeah. I think I'll make that my license plate. That, yeah. H5N1. I just remember. Because it's COVID now. I just remember them from their days as a a Dutch techno band. H5N1? Yeah, Yeah. that's what I remember them for, yeah. But maybe they... County health officials stress that the risk to the general public's health to the virus is low. H5N1 is a concern for domestic poultry because it is highly contagious and may cause illness and death in backyard and commercial flock. While the risk of human transmission is low, human infections can occur when the virus is inhaled in droplets or dust, you know, the regular stuff that's in your eyes or mouth. And uh, either through unprotected contact with infected birds or contact with contaminated surfaces. Wow. It's the same thing yeah. that we're dealing with with COVID. 
Health officials also noted that, like other viruses, the bird flu could potentially mutate with wider spread transmission and become more easily passed to people. Yes. Yeah, that's the fear here. That's the real fear here. The real, honest-to-God, scary fear is that, like the 1918 influenza here in the United States that Uh killed, I believe, millions of people, Uh it was an avian, it was a bird-borne flu. Am I I correct? Uh Authorities urge residents to avoid handling wild birds and to observe them only from a distance. Okay. Yeah. Good advice. From CNN, the Alaska snow crab harvest has been canceled for the first time ever after billions of snow crabs disappeared from the cold, treacherous waters of the Bering Sea in recent years. Wow. Billions. The snow crab population shrank from around 8 billion in 2018 to 1 billion in 2021. Wow. That's according to Benjamin Daly, a researcher with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Snow crab is by far the most abundant of all the Bering Sea crab species that is caught commercially, Daly said. So the shock and awe, I know, was this guy, uh, was that uh, Rumsfeld, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Rumsfeld the, that said was shock the, and awe. That, wasn't that the first uh, Gulf War? Was yeah. that the shock and awe one? I lose track of our war. So the shock and awe of many billions missing from the population is worth noting, and that includes all females and babies. God. Yeah. It wasn't overfishing that caused the collapse. That much is clear. Michael Litzow, the Kodiak Lab Director for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Fisheries said, Human-caused climate change is a significant factor in the crab's alarming disappearance. Snow crabs are cold water species and found overwhelmingly in areas where water temperatures are below 2 degrees Celsius. As oceans warm and sea ice disappears, the ocean around Alaska is becoming inhospitable for the species. So one more. uh, So one more marker on the road to Armageddon. uh, Well, on the road to we better get our asses in gear and straighten this thing out. That's a big cut there in the amount That's of snow big... crabs. And for the industry, there's one thing to look at. Yeah. Although, I don't know how That's... much you want to be eating crab. No. I'm not a big fan of crab. How I, about you? I, I don't eat shellfish. Yeah. I'm very biblical that way. I don't eat shellfish. Well, I'm allergic to a lot of them. Yeah. I don't. How about those little crustacean guys, the little shrimps and, no. and crawfish? Stopped eating those years ago. I don't eat anything that's yeah. How about shell. a shrimp cocktail? Did you ever eat when you oh, were a, yeah. when a I was, young man? When I was a young man, I had, yeah. But that was I, high class. It was. If it was, you went to a restaurant yeah. and ordered a shrimp cocktail, You're, right off the bat, they knew you were from an upper class family. Exactly right. You're with your lady friend and you're in Barnaby's or something and you order. Barnaby's? A, yeah. It was a fancy restaurant where I grew up, Barnaby's. And you ordered a shrimp cocktail? Yeah. And she grabbed the first shrimp? Yeah. Oh, you know. Garçon. It's, it's on. Le yeah. cocktail du shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, last week you did a story about how 70% of the animals since 19... The 70s, I believe yeah, that was I it. I don't want to... Yeah, but that was be a too precise. But 70s. I believe it's sixty-nine or sixty-eight percent okay. of, of uh, yeah. Uh, the stories I said have been of, rounding. Of wildlife up. is gone. It's gone. Yeah. So this is kind of in keeping with what you yeah. were describing. 
From the New York Times, 20 countries most vulnerable to climate change are considering halting their repayment of $685 billion in collective debt loans that they say are an injustice. The finance ministers of these countries are calling instead for a debt-for-nature swap in which part of a nation's debt is forgiven and invested in conservation. Amen. Yeah. We are living not just on borrowed money, but on borrowed time, said Mohammed Nasheed, the former president of Maldives. We are under threat, and we should collectively find a way out of it. Yes. Nasheed said poor nations were locked in a Sisyphean trap. You know, a guy is pushing the rock. And it fall, rolls yeah, it back rolls down. back down, and, and it's back, back and, and forth. Yeah. They must borrow money to ward off rising seas and storms, only to see disasters made worse by climate change destroying the improvements they make. But the debt remains, and often countries are left to borrow once again. By the way, that president of the Maldives that you Uh mentioned, he gained a tremendous amount of notoriety many years ago when he held a Maldives government cabinet meeting underwater to basically make the point that we the maldives are going to disappear if we don't do something about it. and that was well they're going underwater they won't be disappearing well, you can get your scuba gear on true. and you can find the maldives you are right you are right but the the inhabitants will have to leave yes from the associated press the biden administration will hold the first ever lease sale for offshore wind energy on the west coast yay the december 6th sale will target areas in the pacific ocean off central and northern california the first u.s auction for commercial scale floating offshore wind energy development i've spent enough time in northern california as i believe you have as well it's windy there a lot yeah A lot. So good? Yes. We're not just committed to the country's transition to clean energy economy, one that combats climate change, creates good-paying jobs, and ensures economic opportunities are accessible for all. We're actually taking action and driving results, Bureau of Ocean Energy Management Director Amanda Lefton said. Mm -hmm. The final sale notice for the auction will outline the details and lease terms for five areas off California, enough for 4.8. Five gigawatts of offshore wind to power more than 1.5 million homes and create thousands of new jobs. Fantastic. And from Canary Media. Canary Media. Canary Media. Okay. Can electric buses serve as backup batteries on wheels? What do you think? A new project in Oakland, California intends to find out. It's called the V2B Oakland Project. And it's backed by a $3.2 million grant in California Energy Commission funding. The goal is to prove out the technologies and techniques to allow the thousands of electric buses coming onto U.S. roads in the coming years to be used in place of diesel generators for backup power when the grid fails. The V2B stands for Vehicle to Building, and it's one of many technologies that tap electric vehicle batteries to power homes, buildings, or the broader power grid. This is a cool thing. Yeah. What's good about this is these are batteries that are just moving around. Sitting idle. The grid fails. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. We plug in the buses. We don't need to plug in these generators. I, I like that they have batteries. No. They're also much cleaner than diesel generators, right. which is important for communities like West Oakland that suffer high levels of air pollution from highway port and railroad traffic. And unlike diesel generators... 
Buses just don't sit around waiting for emergencies. They're providing a valuable service for the rest of the time, moving people around. Yeah. The, the tricky part is getting hold of the technology that can turn buses into a seamless backup power system. Mm -hmm. Back in 2019, when the Center for Transportation and the Environment worked with the U.S. Department of Transportation to study the potential for what is called bus exportable power supply, the technologies weren't quite ready yet. Mm. But those technologies are becoming commercially available today. So we might actually have this going on. Yeah. Real soon. Great. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog mm -hmm. at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Mm -hmm. Let's turn to the world. Shall we? Uh-huh. To ugly stuff. Oh, boy. Ugly stuff from no. the Washington Post. Mercenary generals. You hear about them, guys? No. In Saudi Arabia, 15 retired U.S. generals and admirals have worked as paid consultants for the Saudi Arabia Defense Ministry since 2016. And, of course, the ministry is led by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the kingdom's de facto ruler, who U.S. intelligence agencies say approved the 2018 killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, a Washington Post contributing columnist, as part of a brutal crackdown on dissent. Yes. So we have our generals. Right. Right. Working for the Saudi government. Right. Even though the Saudi government killed one of our journalists. Yeah. It's, it's pretty despicable. Saudi Arabia's paid advisors have included Marine General James L. Jones, a national security advisor to President Obama, and retired Army General Keith Alexander, who led the National Security Agency. National Security Agency. Yeah, I know. That's the National Security Agency. Yeah. It's working for uh, Saudi Arabia. And he worked under, Alexander did, Obama and President George W. Bush. Others who have worked as consultants for the Saudis since Khashoggi's murder include a retired four-star Air Force general and a former commanding general of the U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Most of the retired U.S. personnel have worked as civilian contractors for Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and other Persian Gulf monarchies, playing a critical, though largely invisible, role in upgrading their militaries. Well, you'd think so. They're generals. Yeah, this is the th yeah, there's so much money in Saudi Arabia. It's yeah. not a surprise that they're attracted to that. And maybe it's not such a bad idea to have a, a relationship at that level with the Saudi military. But it's it still stinks. I would hope so. Yeah. I would hope we think that it stunk. Yeah, it does. I I mean, I'm I talking mean, I real world. I would assume that they have information. Yeah. That they're passing along if yeah. they're upgrading the military. Yeah. And how does that factor in when they're also raising the price of uh, barrels of gasoline? Right. Just before the election, yeah. they're, they're reducing their output, making it more difficult for the U.S. to get gasoline prices under control and helping the Russians in the process. These it's, people are mercenaries, right. the generals. Right. That's why I say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and at the same time, they they're continue to prosecute a war in Yemen that is 
killing and maiming and starving yeah. millions of people. The Saudis are. Yeah, yeah, the Saudis are. So. All the while, the Gulf country's security forces have continued to commit human rights abuses at home and beyond their borders. Documents show that one of the mercenary generals was retired Army Lieutenant General. Want three guesses? Who you want to guess? I'm, I'm, if I, Michael Flynn, would that yep, be? Yep, you got it. You win big uh, time. Oh, wow. a, yeah. What a pig. Well, that's not much of a celebration. That really thing. was. It. Well, it's befitting. <laughs> it's befitting Michael Flynn. He's yeah, a pig. Is. He is a pig. A pig? Yeah, he's a, he's a terrible, awful person. Yeah. Anyway, Flynn, who served as National Security Advisor to Trump, an investigation by the Defense Department's Inspector General found that Flynn collected nearly half a million dollars from Russian and Turkish interests in 2015, one year after he retired from the Army, but failed to clear his work with U.S. officials. He, you remember when that yeah, went yeah, on? Yeah. yeah, he's a traitor. I'll say it. Well, they have a whole different idea of what this country stands for. I don't get it. I don't understand exactly where they picked up on it, except from John Birch. He was on the phone to the Russians during the transition when Obama was leaving office and Trump was coming and undermining U.S. policy yeah. before he had the authority to do anything. Yep. He's a traitor. Exactly. But, but he thinks, as yeah. I'm trying to he's, say, yeah. he thinks he's a complete patriot. Right. And so do a number of people in this country. Yes. He's a Christian so, nationalist. So, yes. Yeah. So, that's what, so what exactly yeah. happened here? Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to say. Yeah. I agree. Hey, let's go to something a little bit less, I don't know, <laughs> enraging, <laughs> although it's still upsetting. Yeah, it's very upsetting. It's from our good friend Michael Hiltzik at oh, the good. Los Angeles Times. Always a good reporter, yeah. always a solid perspective. I can't wait to hear what Michael has to say. Yeah. The gargantuan proposed $24.6 billion merger of supermarket chains Kroger and Albertsons is being toted, touted, mm. touted. It's, well, you know, you tote your grocery bags around. <laughs> it's being touted by Kroger and Albertsons as a boon to consumers. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. If we just get to merge, yeah. you guys are going to have more fun shopping with us. Yeah. Not so. Not so. There's no reason to let two of the biggest supermarket chains in the country to merge, especially with food prices already soaring. Mergers reduce competition, and it's competition that drives down prices and encourages more efficiency and innovation. Kroger is the owner of Food for Less and Ralph's in California, as well as 26 other store brands. Albertsons owns Safeway, Vons, Pavilions, and 12 other brands. It's a lot of market under a single owner. Amen. You might call it a monopoly. You might. Certain areas, yep. that's all they got is one of these. Right. Exactly right. With 60% of grocery sales concentrated among just five national chains, a Kroger Albertson's deal would squeeze consumers already struggling to afford food, crush workers fighting for fair wages, and destroy independent community stores, says Sarah Miller, executive director of the American Economic Liberties Project. Mm -hmm. This merger is a cut-and-dry case of monopoly power, and enforcers should block it. Right. That's what I'm saying. There are places all over the country, rural places, where they only have one or two options, and yeah. this is... This is it. And it's yeah. not in some uh, outback area either. Right. There are downtown areas. Right. Areas in South Central Los Angeles, yes. in Long Beach areas, right. where it's just, there's just one store for miles around. Right. They are often referred to as food deserts in that there is yep. no, there's no options, and the produce tends to be subpar and 
you can't really eat a good, healthy meal. And the prices some, are high. And the prices are high. No competition as it is right now, and now it'll be even worse. From Business Insider. Just in time for the Supreme Court to reject a request to block the Biden administration's student loan debt relief program, President Joe announced that the application for people seeking student loan debt relief is now available online. Okay. At studentaid.gov slash debt hyphen relief slash application. Nice. So if you go to studentaid.gov, you can find it there. Great. Or uh, just Google student loan debt relief. The form, which takes less than five minutes to fill out, requires you to submit your date of birth, social security number, and contact information. No other documents are required to be uploaded. The application will be open through December 31st. The White House said borrowers... Who would like their balances adjusted before student loan payments restart in January should submit their application before November 15. So if you have something changing at the end of this year, uh, get it in sooner. three weeks from this broadcast, you should have had yeah. it put in by, by then. By Biden's then. program, which he called a game changer for millions of Americans faced with student loan debt, calls for $10,000 in federal student debt cancellation for those whose incomes are below $125,000 a year or households that make less than $250,000 a year. Yeah. That's a big range there. It is a big range. I, I think they should really go down for people making less than $100,000 to forgive all of the debt. Yeah, I agree. Period. I agree. Again, though, that URL is studentaid.gov slash debt hyphen relief slash application. Excellent. Or just Google uh, student loan debt relief program. And to support what you said about going lower, people who get debt relief, who have more disposable income, at that income level, put it right back into the economy. It doesn't yeah, sit in. They're not going out buying stocks and bonds. They are putting it right back into the economy. It's capitalism it, is what it is. It really it's is. Putting it's putting a pure lot of capitalism. faith in just the right. capital itself. Right. If you put that capital out right. among people who are going to use it for things that are necessary, right. you're going to see the economy grow. Right. And one other thing that the Biden administration is doing that they're not getting a lot of credit for, I haven't heard them talk about it enough, which is the cost of living for Social Security yeah. has gone up its highest yeah. amount yeah. in its history, 8.7% per year over the la- over last year, which is a significant amount. And Medicare benefits are being expanded. From The Guardian, according to Professor Aoife Foley, a clean energy expert at Queen's University, Belfast, English households could save more than 400 pounds a year on energy bills if clocks are not put back at the end of October. In other words, stay on savings time. Energy, uh, evening energy demand peaks between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. during the winter when the sun is already set after daylight savings time. If clocks didn't go back, it would remain light for at least part of this time, reducing carbon emissions and energy demand. This would help the government tackle the energy war in Europe resulting from the Ukraine evasion. I say evasion? You did. but Invasion. invasion yeah. Some critics of uh, scrapping daylight savings are concerned about road traffic collisions. But Foley's research suggested most road deaths in the U.K. occur in good visibility during the day. Mm. And outside built-up areas, and usually on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, with speed, tiredness, and alcohol the main factors. 
So, I don't know. I think you should look into this, and it might be time to at least try it for a while with if the if it does save energy, right. given the circumstances we have over there. Right. I now. am agnostic. I'm willing to believe whatever's true here. So, That's whatever not agnostic. Well, okay. I I maybe <laughs> I didn't define agnosticism the proper way, but I am willing to be swayed by. I'm a willing to give it a try yeah, too. Yeah. There I you mean, go. You know, I tell you what. You know how to change the clocks? Yeah. Yeah, change the clocks. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing in the world other than all the, you know, yeah. the going through the red tape. <laughs> if Joe Biden said, we're going to move our clocks forward an hour, all we'd have to do is follow through. Yeah, that's it. The, you know, yeah. there's yeah. not a whole lot of. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, How do we do that again? How do you, wait a, oh, my gosh. Yeah. The old days, you could just take your finger and move the big hand. Yeah. All the way around. And all we're doing is time. saying, just keep it here. We don't even need to do anything. <laughs> All that extra energy don't do spent. Anything. Yeah. You want to help us? Don't do a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From the Idaho Capitol Sun, a bill that would ban drag performances in all public venues Excuse will me? be introduced in the first days of the next session of the Idaho legislature. Oh, my God. That would be in January. Oh, my God. The Idaho Family Policy Center cited a section in the Idaho Constitution that states the first concern of all good government is the virtue and sobriety of the people and the purity of the home to justify the petition that led to the bill. Wow. So I guess Monty Python banned. Banned. Yeah. Um, Oh, look. Red Skelton. I'm sorry. What's on the TV? (laughs) I go back. Know, it looks like a penguin. <laughs> this. Go back to any period in human history. Men have dressed up as women, and women have probably dressed up as men. I don't know, but this is nuts. Boise resident Crispin Gravatt, who has performed drag for more than a decade under the stage name Penelope Windsor, in all types of venues, including drag story time at libraries and Boise Pride in yeah. September, had this to say. In my experience being in this community, performing, producing, going to shows, and just celebrating who I am and who my community is, it's weird to see that such a small group of people has made it so far in what they're trying to do. Because 99% of the people I meet all over the state think it's either a fun creative outlet or something that may not be for them, but isn't a threat. And I think that's what this is. I don't know, other than... Republican ghoul politicians taking advantage of people's fears. The fear is that these people somehow feel threatened by a man dressed as a woman or vice versa. If you wake up every morning and your grip on gender identity is this wafer thin, that you're worried about seeing a man dressed as a woman might put you into a whole nother place. You might want to dress as a woman. You might want to. Yeah, that might be a good cure for you. You might want to try it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) From The Guardian, the Attorney General of New York changed the rules of a state gun buyback program after a participant exploited the system by using a 3D printer to make firearms parts in bulk that he then exchanged for $21,000 in gift cards. The seller, who identified himself by a pseudonym, said he had traveled from West Virginia to a gun buyback in Utica, New York, to take advantage of a loophole in the program and to demonstrate that buybacks are futile when you have printable weapons. At the buyback, the seller turned in 60 printed auto sears, 
That's what turns, uh, converts firearms into fully automatic weapons. God. Under the rules of the buyback, he got the $21,000. Letitia James and the city police acknowledged that he was entitled to that, but James's office said it responded to the loophole by giving buyback personnel more discretion to determine the value of weapons being handed in. Alrighty, and from the Huffington Post, a Republican candidate running for an Arizona college district's governing board was arrested on a charge of public sexual indecency after an officer allegedly caught him masturbating in his truck near a preschool. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I, uh, up. He did that. Oh, my God. In a Facebook post from May, Kaufman said he wanted our children protected from the progressive left. That's what this masturbator said. Kaufman was charged with public sexual indecency, but Kaufman could also face possible felony charges because of his proximity to the preschool. Despite the charge, the Maricopa County Recorder's Office said it's too late for Kaufman's name to be removed from the ballot. Wow. (sighs) From Slate Magazine. The Major League Baseball postseason Yes. Is a ritual exercise in volatility. (laughs) Okay. No other sport has the combination of a 162-game regular season and a playoff system that allows a team to reach the summit with as few as 11 wins. The team with the fourth-best winning percentage in regular season history, the 111-win Los Angeles Dodgers, the 101-win Atlanta Braves, and the 101-win New York Mets are all gone from the tournament before the National League Championship series has even begun. The two teams contesting the National League Champion Series, the San Diego Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies, won 89 and 87 games and would have missed the playoffs altogether in 2012. Now the Padres and Phillies are the National League pl- are in the National League playoffs. That's who's are facing off. The playoffs are designed more to be fun entertainment than to separate the wheat from the chaff. Wow. This isn't about yeah. championship baseball. This is about our entertainment. Right. And I've always thought it was that way anyway. Sorry to say. Yeah. I mean, what is it anyway? It's baseball. Yeah. It's a pastime. We like to watch yeah. people making errors. Right. And odd things happening by inches. Right. If, yeah. the, if the Padres had lost, and trust me, over the course of 162 games— it's easy to say six games could have gone the other way. They would have been a 500 team. Yeah. The, and the same for the Phillies, an eight-game difference in loss. Yeah. They had been a 500 team. The, now, I, wasn't, I was completely out of the loop as far as when the Dodgers were playing the Padres. I didn't know anything until it was over. Uh-huh. It sounds like it was absolutely brutal to, to, to watch. Well, especially the last game. But, you know, who cares about that? Yeah. My point being, no, is, I know like I Justin Turner said, it's a messed up game. Yeah. It's messed up because you can crush a ball to the warning track and record an out, but accidentally squib a ball 15 feet in front of home plate and win the whole game. Yeah. 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 Think of the Phillies and Padres as a squib hit. Yeah. And the Astros and the Yankees, who are legitimate champions yes. and now playing in the American League Champions Series, yeah. as a ball headed to the warning track. <laughs> Baseball is one of those few games where really the game plays you. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you get lucky and you win. It doesn't mean the talent doesn't count. Yeah. But it's a crapshoot. And that's what makes it so much fun. 
And that's what I think people who relate to it, that's what they see in it. Yeah. It becomes like their lives. No matter how much you plan, no matter how much talent you have. Yep. I agree. Things can go south. Yeah. Wow. And finally, from city and state New York, liberal independent candidate Mike Itkis is running for New York's 12th congressional district seat on a platform that supports abortion rights, gun control, strong social safety nets, and making America more sex positive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sex positive, Mahler. What do you think? Mahler? Yeah. Yeah, wait. Okay. He's not too sure about that. <laughs> In an apparent attempt to show how much commitment he has for sex positivity, Itkiss released a 13-minute porn video entitled Bucket List Bonanza, starring himself and adult film actress Nicole Sage. The film is Itkiss's first sex tape, which he said he did as a conversation piece. I thought the issues I'm trying to address are so important, I wanted to have them talked about in some way, he said. Generally, I'm kind of a nerd who doesn't like to be the center of attention, if I can avoid it. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.